How's everybody doing? I'm running around getting notes, starting videos. Alex did my video today again today. Thanks, Alex. Uh, you can uh, give him a hand. He's doing a great job back there. You can uh, put the shutter off there. We can put that title up there, Alex. There we go. There we go. Today I'm going to be talking about kind of a part two of uh, Above and Beyond, the series that I started last week, Going Above and Beyond the Call of Duty. Today I'm going to be talking about trust, and I called this, this uh, trust message the Genesis 50-20 principle, um, living the Genesis 50-20 life, and I'm going to get into um, what that means in just a few minutes. But uh, I trust that you will receive something from the Lord today. Last week I started this series about going above and beyond the call of duty. I talked about where it is written in God's word that we as God's people are called to do exploits for the kingdom, acts of courage, living a life that is above and beyond just normal, living a, 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 above and beyond just the status quo form of Christianity, just enough to get by. We are not called to just live a life that is enough to just get by. We are called to great things with the Lord for the glory of God. Last week I talked about the place that that, that begins, above and, living be, above and beyond is a place of surrender. It, it begins in the place of unconditional surrender to Jesus. Not coming to him with a, a set of conditions saying, you know, if, if these are met, I will then surrender. It's basically laying it all out and saying, God, it's, it starts with you, it ends with you, you are the beginning and the ending, you are the first and the last. It starts with you and it ends with you, and that is where I lay my life, at the promises that you are the beginning and the end. Hebrews 12, it says that we run the race with endurance, keeping our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. Do you want Jesus to author your life? Do you want him to be at the finish line? Do you want to be gazing at him when you cross the finish line? Do you want it to be him that is standing there, that he finishes your journey with you? I know I do. I want to finish well. I want to finish with my eyes on Jesus. And I want to live my life surrendered to him and his purposes for me. And again, this is not being about being religious or more religious the story I dealt with was a rich young ruler that came to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gave him a list of commandments and he said, I followed those since I was a child. And Jesus said, you lack one thing, go and sell everything, sell it all, give it to the poor and follow me. And it says this guy, his demeanor dropped, his face dropped and he walked away because he, his idol had become his, his riches and his wealth. And so Jesus wasn't after his money. In fact, Jesus told him to give it away to the poor. But Jesus was saying, I want your heart. I want, I want unconditional surrender. And this guy couldn't do it. But Jesus, it said Jesus had great compassion on him. He looked at him with love. And so he looks at us with love and he's saying, what's keeping you from total surrender? Let it go. Let it go and surrender your life to him today. So today is above and beyond trust. We talked about surrender. Let's talk about trust today. Let's go to the next slide. What does it mean to trust? Go. There we go. It is this, trust, reliance on the integrity, 
strength, ability, and ability of something or someone. Reliance on the integrity, strength, ability of someone or something. Confident expectation of hope. It's hope in the spite of current circumstances that things will work out. It's saying, I may be in a situation, but I trust in someone or something. I trust in their integrity. I trust in their strength. And I trust in their ability that things are going to work out. I believe in it. I give my life to it. Again, this is tied with surrender when you completely trust someone. That's why in relationships, you know, we can forgive immediately, but trust is built over time, isn't it? You don't just trust immediately, especially if somebody's broken trust with you. So trust is a, it's a huge thing when we give our trust to someone. But this, this, this definition is saying, in spite of my current circumstances or, th- or, or how things seem to be, I, I put my hope, my, my strength, and, uh, and the integrity and my abilities in someone else, or I trust their integrity, strength, and ability. Living a life that is before the Lord and saying, we trust you completely, is saying, Jesus, I trust your integrity. Do we live that way? I trust, Jesus, your strength. I trust your ability, not my own ability. In other words, I'm saying, I don't trust my own integrity. I know what I'm capable of doing outside of Christ. I don't trust in my own strength or my own abilities. I trust in yours and yours alone. And having that confident expectation that he's completely in control and he's working out things in spite of what even may be going on around me. Came across a funny story. It's a story of two girls and uh, a child psychologist wanted to meet with them. They were kind of both on two ends of the, the spectrum and this child psychologist wanted to meet with them and kind of treat their extremes. One was a very negative, complaining pessimist and the other was a joyful, loving optimist. And the doctor wanted to treat their extreme conditions, so he did a test for them. The first girl, who was the complaining pessimist, he put her in a room filled with toys. And he just kind of watched her response. She just began to weep and cry. And the doctor said, what in the world is wrong? She said, well, I don't have enough room for all these toys. And, and they're not like my toys. And I'll most likely end up breaking them. And then the second girl, who was joyful and optimistic, he took her to a room filled with manure. And he just let her look. Her response, she began to joyfully celebrate. Yes, I can't believe it. And she begins to dig through the manure with both hands. The doctor stops her and he says, what in the world are you you doing? She said, with all that manure, there has to be a pony in there somewhere. (laughs) My prayer is, God, make me like that second girl. I was going to title this message, Finding a Pony in the Poo-Poo, but I didn't figure that that would be very, uh, very right, but uh, there it is. God, make me like the second girl that's looking for God's hand even in the midst of the manure pile. It's easy to be like the first girl and and just focus on what's not happening or what I'm not getting or 
Those are not my, you know, I, I, those are not like my toys, and it, I'm probably going to end up breaking them and, and, and missing out on the joy that is set in, right in front of me. But going in above and beyond as a follower of Jesus means that we try to find him and what he's doing in every situation. To hear his voice, no matter what we're going through, him saying, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And the question that comes to our own heart is, is he really in control? Is he really sovereign? You know, we hear these catchwords of, you know, is, is he in control? Is he sovereign? And we immediately would say yes, and I'm with you on that. But deep down inside, that definition of trust, do we really, really trust his integrity, his strength, and his ability? Is he really sovereign in us? Because see, most of our frustration in this life, especially with God, is that we try to conform him to us instead of us being conformed to him. A lot of times it's, God, we want you to do this or we want you to do that for us. Here's a need, here's what I want you to do. And, 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 and God's been dealing with me about this. That's why I can preach it and, and talk to you because this is, I just share my own convictions and what God's dealing with me. But instead of saying, God, I want you to do this, God, what are you doing? And I want to come alongside of what you're doing. I want to find out what you're doing in the midst of every situation. You see, he doesn't exist for us. I think a lot of times we have this backwards. We think God exists for us. He exists for me. But we have to understand that we exist for him. But when I say that, we're not little ants in an ant farm. With God kind of just letting us take a part of the ant farm, and then when he is kind of frustrated with us, he gets the magnifying glass out, if you remember those cruel kid days. But we exist for his pleasure, for his glory, for relationship with him. That's why you hear Nick, you know, Nick begging for arms and legs as a kid, and he's saying, where do you, where do you come to a place in your life where you say, I'm glad that God didn't answer my prayer? He found out what God was doing. Instead of saying, God, you give me arms and legs, it's, he finally said, God, what are you doing with my life? And now you're seeing hundreds of thousands of people that through the testimony of his life, through the message of this guy's life, are coming to know Jesus. He's invited on, uh, to places on the planet that none of us would ever have access to be able to preach. But because of his condition, no arms, no legs, and he has joy, he's not depressed, because most people that's seen in some cultures as it's kind of a curse, and you really don't have any reason to live, and you really have nothing to give back to society. And they see him with a big smile on his face, and he has a joy that's in him, and they're like, what is different about you? And so he has spoken on stages in countries where people would never, ever be able to declare the gospel, and they're, one of, they're saying, what makes you so happy? And he can say, Jesus Christ. We exist for God. We exist for relationship with him and to bring him glory. Trusting him helps us give that, get, get that revelation. But again, trust is a process. We have to walk it out every day. 
You know, it's, 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 it should become your daily prayer. Lord, I want to trust you more. Help me in those areas I don't trust you. God, help me to trust you. The question also is, when we say, is he sovereign, can he be glorified in my present situation or circumstance? Is there a way he can get glory through that? That what I'm going through, what I'm facing, the season that I'm in, maybe a frustration, maybe a, an anger, maybe a relational thing, can God get glory out of that? And sometimes it's hard to see it. But is he still on the throne even if you can't see or perceive him? Even if you don't, remember last week's surrender is about, not about feelings. Is he still on the throne when I can't feel him? Because we base a lot about our, our walk with Christ as if I feel him or don't feel him. And it's great to feel him. I'm not, not going to lie. I love the nearness of God and you sense his presence very close to you. Those are wonderful times. But is he less close when I don't feel him? The answer is no. He's still right there. Is he always in control? Or do we think that sometimes that he temporarily gives up control? And are we reliant on his integrity, his strength, and his ability? Do we serve him with confident expectation and hope? Now again, there are times. That's why I love the word of God. Look at King David. I think it's Psalm, I think 14, 13 or 14, when he begins by saying, here's, the, here's how the song starts. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? Have you ever been there? This is a gut-wrenching prayer. But then at the end of the psalm, he said, but yet I'll trust in your unfailing love. I, I don't get it, but I, I'll trust you. I'm putting, I, I'm, I'm putting everything, I'm putting all of it, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing my whole life into your strength and your ability, and I'm trusting you. I'll trust in your unfailing love. And so this principle that I'm going to talk about, the Genesis 50-20 life, you can go to the next slide. Go ahead and hit it again. And I've talked about Joseph before, but he really is one of my heroes when, when I talk about this idea of trusting God, a guy that modeled trust before the Lord. He just he chose to see God's hand in every single place. And this scripture, Genesis 50:20, this Genesis 50:20 principle, this is, I want to live that kind of life. I want to see God's hand in no matter what I'm traveling in, whatever I'm going through, I want to see God's hand. But I want to give you the context of this passage from Genesis 50. If you want to turn there, you can. If not, you can just listen on Genesis 50, starting in verse 14. And so I'm going to start at the end of the story, and then I'm actually going to just backtrack a little bit and talk about what brought him to this place in his life. But starting in verse 14, after burying Jacob, that's his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful because of what they had done to him. Now Joseph, and they say this, now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph, so they're going to manipulate a little bit. 
By the way, before our father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the, of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. So they just kind of made up a little story about, yeah, before dad died, he said, please forgive us and show us mercy. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me this, to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. So the end of the story, what led up to Joseph saying this? What led up to this encounter with his brothers? Well, if you rewind, it's kind of like fast-forwarding to the end of the movie. We just see the last scene. It's touching. Everybody's weeping, crying into their popcorn. It's just touching. But let's rewind the movie because it wasn't always touching. At the age of 17, God gave Joseph dreams of greatness, and he spoke to his heart that one day you're going to be a leader. You're going to be great. I have a promise for you. I have a plan for your life. I have a destiny for you. And Joseph receives these two dreams. Well, as we know this, as the story goes, most of you are familiar with the story. If not, it's good to have this background. But his brothers did not like him at all. I'm not even going to say very much. They just couldn't stand the kid. At the time, he was youngest. You know, he ended up having a younger brother, but he was the favored son out of all these kids, 11 sons at the time, and he's the favored one. His father loved him more than the others. His father gave him this coat of many colors and, you know, just lavished love and, 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 and just incredible favor on this kid. So you can, you can almost understand the brothers that there's a little bit of uh, dysfunction and neglect here. I don't appreciate him getting treated that way. I mean, where's the love? I, you know, what about us? So they couldn't stand him. He didn't help himself very much because when his brothers would get into stuff, it says that Joseph would go back and report to his father the dealings of his brothers. If you're just wondering, that's not a good idea? You know, he was, a big, he was kind of a tattletale. And so, I mean, they would already don't like him. And so now he's informing dad, guess what the boys were doing today over supper? It did not make their hearts skip for him at all. So the hatred built in these guys, and, and we, we see them turning on him. One day he comes out to find them, and we have the story where one of the brothers just takes him and throws him down into a pit. They wanted to kill him. But fortunately, one of the other brothers said, now we probably shouldn't kill him, because that would kill our father. I mean, it would just, I mean, this would be horrible. We can't kill him. So they Got him in a pit, and can you imagine they're standing around the pit talking about, well, what should we do with him? So this band of Ishmaelites comes along. They said, let's sell, sell him to them into slavery. So they take this favored son, and they go, you know, let's see how great the favor is now. They took his coat of many colors, sent him along his way, sold him into slavery. So they turned their back on him, made a little cash off of him too, took his coat, said, now what do we tell the dad? So we, they tore the coat up, took some animal blood, Went back to dad, and they weren't going to full-on lie about it, but they just said, we don't know where Joseph is, but here's his coat. 
And the dad is just, you know, Jacob's distraught. He's been attacked by an animal. This is horrific. So Joseph's brothers turned on him, sold him into slavery. The Ishmaelites get to Egypt and they sell him in, uh, to a man named Potiphar, as we know the story. This guy buys him, he becomes a servant in his house. But the thing, everywhere that Joseph went, God was with him. You know, and if you're like me in this story, so, you know, if God is with you, why doesn't he get him out of this mess? And so God's favors upon him. Even Potiphar recognizes everything that he's touching in Potiphar's house, it's like everything goes good with this guy. And so he elevates him to, you know, you're going to be like the, you're going to like the head slave of my house, which I don't imagine that that's what Joseph was thinking of when he had the dreams of greatness at 17. One of these days, I'll be a head slave. You know, when God speaks to your heart about a dream that he has put on, on your heart, it usually doesn't equate to something like that. If I could only be a head slave. And so he's going about his business. We know the story. Potiphar's wife, who the Bible says very beautiful, comes. She makes advances at Joseph. It says daily, comes to him every day, every day. And Joseph says, no, I could not do this. I can't do it. He's being godly. He's having integrity. He's maintaining his love for God instead of the advances of this woman. Then one day she gets really aggressive and grabs his coat and he tears himself away and runs from her. Right move, Joseph. Good job. Gets out of the house. So she sees I'm not going to get anywhere with this guy. And so she takes the coat and starts yelling, he raped me, tried to rape me. And you know, you and I, if we're sitting on the, you know, if we're sitting on the council of heaven and God is saying, what do you, what do you guys think we should do about this? We're all going to take a vote and say, you know, expose her for the wickedness that she just did. That's wrong. Lift Joseph up. Show everybody that he did right because he, he, he maintained his integrity. Lord, he loved you. And God said, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let them all believe the false accusation. And we would all be sitting around scratching our heads going, whoa, okay, I, I don't think we need to be on this council anymore because that's not what I would do at all. He's falsely accused. Then he's thrown into an Egyptian prison. It's going from bad to worse to even worse to even worse. And you know, at, the, at those times, he could have said, Lord, is this how you repay faithfulness? If this, is this how you repay integrity? So he's thrown in prison. Here's another divine appointment. The, the, the wine taster and the baker of the, the king show up in prison one day for doing some wrong things. They have dreams in prison. God gives Joseph the interpretation to the dreams. Now he's thinking, all right, this is, this is my ticket out of here. And so he gives the interpretation of the dreams. They come to pass. One guy is executed. The other guy is put back in his position with the king. And he tells the guy, he said, by the way, when you get back before the king, please remember me. So Joseph is even trying to help himself out a little bit. Remember me before, when, you get, when, you, when you're going to get your position back, remember me. Here's what the Bible said, one translation. After he left, he promptly forgot Joseph. 
He was so happy to have his job back. Two years go by. Can you imagine? Two more years in an Egyptian dungeon. And again, it says the Lord was with Joseph in the prison. So two more years, he's forgotten completely. Then we know the story Pharaoh has dreams. And everybody's perplexed about what these dreams mean. And then the wine taster of the king goes, oh my goodness. You had a dream. I know a guy who can interpret your dream. Go get him. Joseph is brought before Pharaoh, and he interprets the dreams. Pharaoh puts him in charge, you know, second in command. It's a beautiful you know, story. And then his brothers come back to Egypt because there's famine in the land, and Joseph has this big food distribution plan, and we see him rising to power, and you see the end of the story that we just read. His brothers are now fearful of him. Of course, he has this great reunion with his dad before his dad dies, this great reunion with his brothers, and he forgives them. And then he says this at the end of the story, you intended to harm me, or you intended this for evil, but God meant it for good. Where do you have to be at in life to go through what Joseph went through? Rejection, slavery, false accusation, prison after you're doing the right thing and I'm, I'm, I'm having integrity, I'm following the Lord, and you're falsely accused, sent into prison, and then to top it all off, you're forgotten. None of us would say, well, wow, that sounds like the kingdom that I want to sign up for. But Joseph saw something, and he had the lens of God, and he said, you know what? All of it. The last 13 years of my life, because he was 17 when he had the dreams, he was 30 years old when he rose to power. 13 years of all that stuff in between. And he looks at his brothers and he goes, you guys intended, you meant it for evil, but God meant it all for good. God meant it all for good. He's able to say this because he trusted God. He relied on God's strength and God's integrity. He believed that God was in control. Now, again, trust is a process. The word of God in Psalms says that he was tested, that the word of the Lord tested his character. There were difficult days, I'm sure of it. Just like we have those difficult days. Just like David said, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? I'm sure that Joseph prayed those prayers. He just didn't write them in Psalms. Or he didn't have a pen down in that prison. I'm sure there was days he said, God, did you forget about me? Hey, Joseph here, remember the dreams? Remember the integrity? God, remember me. What, what is happening here? But he trusted God, and he relied on God's strength. Lord, I don't get it, but I trust you. I don't understand it, but you are true, and your integrity is sure. Because see, he believed that God was more about the big picture than his, just his temporary happiness. And he says that, he said, at the end, he said, God placed me in this position to save the lives of many. God was always about not just Joseph's happiness, but saving the lives of a whole generation of people. And God saw the big picture, and Joseph said, I see the big picture now. You were trying to save lives instead of just making me happy. 
read a quote yesterday. It was really good. It says, if, if God's chief purpose is our health, wealth, and happiness, then he hated the Apostle Paul. Isn't that good? Read about Paul, man. There was some stuff there. Shipwrecked, beaten, imprisoned. But he, he was tested and he passed the test, Joseph, and he said, and, and, and even in the midst of the struggles and heartaches, trusted God. He believed that God was bigger than his situation. And then he says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it all for good. All of it. Do we really believe that he intends all for good? Now, I'm talking about people that follow God. If you are, today, if you're not following God or you're living for your own ways and you're going through problems, that's a whole other thing. You need to surrender to God. Because sometimes if we step out from underneath God and we go our own way, I mean, the proverb says that, you know, uh, that way leads to destruction. I mean, so if we choose our own way and we're choosing our own path and saying, you know, forget the surrender to God, I'm going to live my own life, that's a whole, that's a different sermon for a different day. I'm talking about people that follow God. Do we believe that he intends it all for our good and for the good of the kingdom? And so whatever the devil did, whatever others have done that they meant for evil for your life, they intended you harm, they intended, you know, evil words, tearing down your character, breaking trust, do we believe that God can turn it all for his good and glory. So to walk as people in total trust, what, 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 are the, what, you know, what are the things that are about people that walk with God? And we're going to go to the next slide here. Number one. People of God who go above and beyond in trust, they find opportunity in every circumstance or situation. They find opportunity. You can go ahead and push the arrow again. And I love David and Goliath. You guys know this story. But the people of God that walk in trust of God find an opportunity. They find the opportunity in every situation, circumstance. We know Goliath showed up. You know, he challenges Israel's army. Everybody else sees the giant. They're fearful. They see the circumstance. They see the situation. There's no way around it. They're all shaking in fear. And here comes the teenage boy who believes God and trusts God's strength and integrity. And he does not see the giant. He sees the size of God. He sees this not as a horrific place of fear, but he sees this as a great opportunity. Well, God's going to have to show up. So we, we've got a good here. This is the best scenario. God has to show up. So we know the story. He says, I'll fight him. Saul's like, you're crazy, but here you go. Here's my armor. And David said, the armor doesn't fit. I'll just go out there and I've, I've, killed, I've killed a bear and a lion, saving my father's sheep. And uh, this uncircumcised, godless Philistine's nothing. And so he goes out on the battlefield and, you know, he just declares to, to, you know, to Goliath. Goliath is laughing at this kid that's out there. He's like, you know, this is not even a warrior. And David said, you know, you can laugh if you want to, but guess what? I've got a man named God on my side through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to see what happens today. You come at me with sword and spear, I come at you in the name of the Lord. And he slings that stone and cracks the giant in the head. And it was a great victory for God that day because a little boy believed and trusted God's strength. And he looked for God in the circumstance. I'm going to read a story to you. I've been reading a lot of books lately. This book, um, you'll hear more about it in the days ahead. I'll, 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 give, I'll be giving plugs for this. But I want to, 
At the end of every chapter, this is a book by Francis Chan, at the end of every chapter, he talks about people that he, um, because it's about the Holy Spirit, and he, and he gives stories about people who have, are living a spiritual life, or their testimony is how they, uh, you know, they, they, they live for uh, the things of God, and, and they truly live the spirit-filled life. And this is about a lady named Esther Ahn Kim, and I want you to hear her story. Esther Ahn Kim's biography is among the most powerful testimonies I've ever read. It was during World War II and the Japanese occupation of Korea that Esther's journey of faith really began. She refused to bow down at the shrine set up in every corner of her country and was eventually imprisoned for six years from 1939 until 1945. Knowing she was destined for prison for refusing to bow to idols, Esther spent time training herself both physically and spiritually. Each day she would find and eat food that was decaying knowing that that's what she would be served in prison. The discipline she demonstrated is humbling. How many of us would choose to eat rotten food? While preparing for prison, she memorized more than 100 chapters of the Bible and many songs because she knew she would not be allowed to keep her Bible. She spent countless hours seeking God through fasting and prayer. These times when she read the scriptures led to greater clarity and she was able to surrender her fear of being tortured. Reading her life, her story left me wanting more, more intimacy with Christ, more love for people, more of God in my life, and to be honest, more discipline. She was a well-disciplined believer, but there was nothing self-righteous about her. Her obedience to Christ only increased her ability to hear the voice of the Spirit and consequently filled her with overwhelming love for the people that she came in contact with. When she eventually was taken to prison, God used her in countless ways. One night, a young Chinese woman convicted of killing her husband was brought in. She moaned incessantly and beat on the doors until the guards tied her hands behind her back. It was this woman that God called Esther to love and reach out to. Esther held this woman's feet at night to warm them, even though the woman was covered in her own excrement. Though food rations were small, Esther gave up her portions for three days so this woman could eat. Over time, the Chinese woman began to respond, carrying on a conversation, eventually accepting the good news of the gospel. The woman was later executed for her crime, but she went to her death alive in Christ. This is one of the many people God used Esther to minister to. Murderers, swindlers who were utter outcasts were changed before all who watched as the love of Christ through Esther healed their hearts and gave them hope. Even the jailers and government officials noticed how Esther shone in that dark place. She could have just endured her suffering like a good Christian, and we would have all applauded her for it. But she was not content to merely endure. She was ready every day and every moment asking God, and this is her prayer, who do you want me to love for you today? God, make me like that. Finding an opportunity in every situation. Number two, people that walk in trust is they completely rely on God's strength and ability with hope and expectation. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4. This is Paul. And he's describing a current situation that they have found themselves in. We have a song about it, but I want you to catch what he's trying to say. He said, we're pressed on every side by troubles but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. 
We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death. But this has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving. And God will receive more and more glory. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles, they were going through a lot of stuff here. They are small and they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that we cannot see. For the things that we see now will be gone soon, but the things we cannot see will last forever. This passage is an anthem of, uh, of the heroes of the faith. They chose to keep their eyes on Jesus through amazing things. I'm pressed, but I'm not crushed. We're hunted down, but we're not destroyed. Circumstances are not going good, but we're fixing our eyes on Jesus and we're running the race. And by the way, there's more to this life, and that's what he's saying, is we fix our eyes on what can't be seen. We don't live for what just can be seen. And this summed up their lives, these heroes of the faith. This summed up this lady, Esther, summed up her life, is to fix my eyes on the eternal. The spirit-filled life. The spirit that fills us and makes us more like Jesus. Number three. People that trust implicitly in God, they really, really believe they really are convinced that God means it all for good. They don't just say it. They don't just memorize it. They live like they're convinced of it. Isaiah 61. It's a prophecy that Jesus later on grabs, and this is about Jesus. He said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. Or what he says, the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to comfort the brokenhearted. Are you brokenhearted today? There's answer in Jesus. To proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, listen to this, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. Folks, it is through Jesus that we, he can take ashes and make something beautiful out of it. He can take mourning and despair and turn it into hope. When we believe that all things, all things work for our good. And that's the one I want to close with is Romans 8. Verse 28, and then we'll jump to 35 through 39. And we know that God, and this is Paul again, we know that God causes all things to work together for the good 
of those who, those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. All things, positive, negative, hard circumstances, good circumstances, he works all things out for those who love him. And then in verse 35, he says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean no longer, he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or we're hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? And so he's given all these circumstances. He's given these realities of life that people face. And he says, when you're going through that, does it mean that God stopped loving you when you're facing that? And in verse 37, he says, absolutely not. In spite of all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, angels or demons, neither our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus. So today, are you going through something? Do you have a calamity, a trouble, a heartbreak? Do you have a pain in your heart, in your life? Are you going through something emotionally, mentally, physically, financially? Today, I want to encourage you that God did not step away from his love for you because you're going through that. He deeply loves you. And one of the greatest things that Paul found in the midst of those times when he was going through so much and that's what he says in that passage. He says, when I suffer, I understand Christ more because Christ suffered for me. Out of his love, he went through rejection, persecution. And when he says that, we know that all things work together for good. Do we really believe that all means all? And the word all means all. And every can look up the Greek, it means all, everything. Do we believe and trust in that his love hasn't left us in spite of the situations and circumstances that we're in? I love that great song that we sing in Christ alone. and That one series of words that says, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. For I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Do you trust him today? Do you trust his strength, his ability? Do you trust him implicitly no matter what you're going through? Do you believe that no one can pluck you from his hand? And Steve has said this before, but the only, thing that we, the only person that can remove us from God's hand is ourselves. But do you trust him today? Do you believe that no matter what you're going through, no, no matter what someone has done to you, no matter what spiritual warfare, that any demonic strategy, because Paul says there's no power in hell, there's no demonic force that can remove you from God's love. For those that are in Christ, do you believe that? Do you believe that you trust him, that when I'm going through this, he can get glory out of my life no matter what? And if you're like me in preparing for this sermon, here's what I prayed this week. Lord, I do trust you, but help me in my untrust. I think about that story of, you know, that man bringing his little boy to Jesus, and he wanted him to be healed. And, and Jesus says, do you believe I can make him well? 
You know, and Jesus was going after the dad's heart, not just making the boy well, but Jesus was, and, and I love the guy's honesty. He said, yeah, I believe, but help my unbelief. In other words, there's some areas, I struggle with this. I've seen my boy like this a lot. I've seen my boy struggle, and I do believe you, but help my unbelief. And when we talk about surrender, we talk about trust today, do we trust him? And, and my prayer is, Lord, I do trust you, but boy, there's some areas I don't. There's some things I don't trust you with, and, and I'm having a hard time in those areas, and Lord, I want to trust you. Help my untrust. Help my unbelief. Let's stand together and pray. Jesus, we give you our hearts today. We give you our lives. We give you all that we are. Our thoughts, our hopes for tomorrow, our hopes for today, our regrets from the past. Lord, all of us in here, Lord, each person has a story, a journey. And Lord, we could go person to person, we could hear the ups and downs, the the trials, the storms, the victories even, and everyone in here could write a book. <laughs> and Lord, today we want to come before you and we want to say, God, we want to trust you more. We want to trust you implicitly. We want to trust you with our hearts. We want to trust you with our lives. We want to trust you, Lord, even for those things that we regret of the past. We want to trust, God, that you have covered those multitude of sins by your blood and we don't have to be ashamed and live in regret and past condemnation. And Lord, that there's hope for today, that no matter what the circumstance, you can get glory, that all things work together for good, even as Joseph found himself in that prison. And some, some of us here, God, we might be in, in a prison of sorts, whether it's something physical or relational, emotional, and, and it's just feeling like that all hope, and I've tried to do the right thing, and Wow, God, it seems like you've repaid my, my trying to do right with, with greater suffering. But Lord, you intended it all for good. And you meant to save the lives of many. And so Lord, you really do want to redeem our lives for the salvation of many. And God, thank you that you've given us hope for the future, that we can trust you, that our future is in your hands. Our lives are in your hands. And that ultimately, Lord, our greatest trust is that when we leave this life and go into the next life, and when we die, Lord, that we want to have our eyes fixed on you. We want to finish well. We want to finish in joy. We want to finish with our eyes looking at you and saying, hallelujah, and hearing your voice saying, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come in. All of this is yours. God, what a day that's going to be. Lord, we trust you today. Help our untrust. We love you so much. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you.